Well, hello there. Welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and thank you so much for the privilege of your time. I won't uh, try to abuse it too much. Keep this show concentrated and short and hopefully also entertaining. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. The show is brought to you thanks to the contribution of my patrons. Thanks to all of you that are supporting me in this uh, fun ministry, in this 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 uh, creative explosion of things. I love my work, and I couldn't do it with without you. And I'm also really enjoying the Discord community and the communities that are forming around Facebook and around YouTube. There's so much feedback and so many ideas coming from those communities. And that helps me to know what you want and know where to put my my time and my focus. So uh, if you want to join that community um, on Patreon and get access to my weekly extra podcast, Father Roderick to the Max, where I uh, share my best Italian recipes and we talk about comic books and we talk about what I've learned on social media every week there I talk about a video that I've watched and that has taught me something uh, we talk about history technology if you want to get access to that patreon podcast and go to patreon.com slash father Roderick and uh, check it out you know what's going on this is what's happening in your world Face it, Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. While I'm recording this, we actually have someone from New Zealand who is watching, and that is so cool to have a real Kiwi in the chat. And um, so I was talking about how much I love New Zealand, and one of my one of the things on my bucket list is to go back to the Southern Island and do a bike ride all across the the coastline, or not really the coastline, but there apparently is a, an itinerary that you can follow on by bike, and it will take you, I don't know, two weeks, but then you can, you know, go th- to, uh, and, and just experience the island on a bike. I mean, that sounds so perfect. So, um, uh, I hope I hope to do that. I, I think this must happen, and if I do it, I promise that I will take you with me. In other news... Um, I finally, and this is big for me, but it sounds maybe completely irrelevant for the rest of the world, but I will finally be getting a new bathroom. And I cannot tell you how excited I am about that. So just as a little bit of background, I live in this 100-year-old rectory. So it was built uh, actually almost 101 years ago. They built the church. They also built this rectory next to it. And it is a big house. And it's really beautiful. This was at the time when they were still making nice stuff. Nowadays, when you look at architecture, it's all functional and cheap. And ah, it doesn't look that good. But uh, this, is, this is a palace. And it's really, really cool. Um, the downside of having a 100-year-old house is that some of the stuff is really not up to speed. Um, so for the past months, we've been working on rewiring everything, electricity, uh, internet. It, it's still ongoing because in order to to make something that is in harmony with the the you know the the overall looks of this of this building, we had to go under the floors. Uh, this is all, it all has wooden floors, so it has the advantage that you can open up the 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 wooden floor and and put the wiring underneath it 
is much nicer than than uh, uh, fixing it to the wall. Um, so that's that's a big uh, project that we've been working on for uh, for two months now. Still not finished, but uh, we're getting there. And the other big project was a new bathroom. When I uh, came to live here, I have had two other priests as predecessors that lived here. Um, one about 10 years ago, I think, maybe even longer. I think it's like 15 years ago. And the other priest has lived here for, t for another 10 years. And when they moved in, they didn't have time to redo the bathroom. They did do a, sh a new shower, um, but then just the toilet. They just left it the way it was, and it is so, or it was, now I can say it was, it was terrible. It was just this, this very, very small space with, ev and everything was brown, like this, this, you just like, why the color brown? Maybe that was uh, a trend in the 70s, or I don't know, maybe older than that. And the thing is, you know, you've got this old bathroom. It's it's um, because it's old. It's also it's hard to clean. It's just everything in there is just used up and not very hygienic. So it was always a pain to clean. And uh, uh, and also uh, they they basically put it at the end of a corridor, a hallway on the second floor here or first floor depending on uh, your country. Um, and what they did is they basically built a very small room inside the hallway. Um, and it almost looks like a TARDIS, to be honest. Only it's smaller on the inside <laughs> instead of bigger. But the door itself looks like the door of the TARDIS. It's probably from the same age as those telephone booths or these police booths uh, when they first uh, started filming uh, uh, Doctor Who. So what we did was remove the walls, remove the door. We're going to make it twice as big. And then instead of giving it a ceiling, we're actually going to open up the ceiling. And, and so there is actually this circular window at the end of the corridor, which you could barely see because of this weird bathroom that they built there. And now we're going to be integrating that. And it, so all of a sudden there's a lot of light in the in the... <laughs> in that space the downside of this whole operation is patience this is going to take a while so right now for the second week i don't have a toilet and i have to go down the stairs and leave my apartment and go into the parish uh, uh space and then they have to walk to the toilets there so i i i measured it this is literally Every time I go to the toilet, uh, it's a hundred steps. So my step counter is <laughs> really going nuts because like every time I go to the toilet, it's another hundred steps. So it's probably very good for my health. Although it is a little bit annoying when you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to go to the <laughs> Sorry about this topic, by the way. <laughs> I have to go to the toilet. I was like, normally... It's close by. Now it's like, oh gosh, I gotta go down the stairs. I, I gotta put on my um, my socks, and then because the floor right now is also uncovered, so it's this wooden floor full of splinters, and I can't walk on that floor barefoot. 
So I got to put something on. <laughs> and I go downstairs, unlock the door, go to the parish toilets, and then go back, relock the door, go upstairs, turn off the lights, take off my shoes, and go back to bed. <sighs> anyway, but the secret of patience is having something to look forward to. <laughs> the thing that I'm looking forward to is having a new bathroom. I promise I will post a picture once it's done because right now it just looks like there's been a, an explosion. There's been a bomb. Like everything is is broken off and dusty and uh, there's basically a hole in the ground. And it's not a hobbit hole. Okay, that's all I'm going to say about it. Let's move over to the world of movies and TV shows. Last week I, uh, I did a, a segment on the... Um, unexpected and sudden death of uh, Chadwick Boseman. Sudden for all of us, not for him, because he's been suffering from colon cancer for four years. Today I want to talk about uh, something that harkens back to the 80s. It's a new show on Netflix, but it's been online for two years now. Nobody knew about it. How do you not like movies? They're predictable, like... The guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. I want to talk about, right now, my favorite TV show, my favorite series. It came out of nowhere for me. But apparently, it had already been on YouTube Red, which was this subscription-based YouTube thing where they wanted to do original content because that was all the rage. This is before Disney+. Plus. After a while, they threw in the towel. YouTube is no longer, I think, producing these series. One of the series that has been on YouTube Red for YouTube subscribers and is now taken over by Netflix, and so they posted two seasons at once, is... Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai. Here is the sound of the trailer. 1984. The final minutes of The Karate Kid. 34 years later, the same kids, now all grown up. Who is it? Bonsai! Daniel LaRusso here for LaRusso Auto. We are chopping prices on all of our inventory. Johnny? I knew it was you. This is Johnny Lawrence. He and I go way back. Oh, this is the guy whose ass you kicked. If you want to get technical, I kicked his face. <laughs> hey, where you going, come Oh, I didn't know you guys were trying to buy beer. I'm... Oh, oh. <laughs> hey! Watch your car, man. Get the hell out of here, loser. <laughs> Was that like Taekwondo or something? It's karate. Do you think you could teach me? I'm driving home from work yesterday, and in this strip mall, I see... After 30 years, I thought that guy might have changed, but he's still the same prick. I heard you beat up a bunch of teenagers. I didn't beat up any teenagers. I kicked the crap out of a bunch of assholes who deserved it. Thinks he could bring Cobra Kai back to the valley? Yeah. Not on my watch. You want those kids at school to keep dumping things on your head? 
You want all the girls to think you're a wangless dork? You're gonna be my karate teacher? No. I'm gonna be your sensei. I'm gonna teach you the style of karate that was taught to me. A method of fighting your pansy ass generation desperately needs. Okay, let's see what you got. She's a girl. And? I'm sorry. Oh, are you okay? Girl's <laughs> a natural cobra. Johnny, you and I, this, we aren't done. That is Cobra Kai. It is a sequel to the Karate Kids uh, movies, because there are three of them, if I'm not mistaken. And this picks up where basically 34 years after the events in Karate Kid, and it, it puts together the same actors. And this is the coolest thing about Cobra Kai. It's got the same cast, and there are a lot of appearances of the kids that played in the original um, some of which are no longer there, but it is full of these references to the 80s because Karate Kid is from the 80s. And so it is totally in line with uh, what uh, uh, Stranger Things also did very successfully, kind of tap into that 80s nostalgia. What I did not expect was to, to be to, for this to be any good. It is excellent. It's such a great series. It constantly keeps you watching. I love that it's just 30 minutes per episode. That works really, really well for this kind of storytelling. So it is extremely binge-friendly. And it's just an overall cool story. And it's got it's very true to the original. That's another thing that I love so much. It is uh, extremely... Um, where, where sometimes people may feel that, well, with Star Wars, it was just kind of a rehash the sequels i don't agree with that but some people thought that with 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 uh, cobra kai it's truly a continuation in the same vibe and but it's expanding the story something that you couldn't do in in a theatrical movie because it's too short but because of this serial nature of the storytelling you get to know these characters much more and it is so well done. So that is my short review of Cobra Kai. It is really, really, really worth it. Um, go check it out if you haven't done so already. When I'm done with season two, there is actually already going to be a season three that is uh, announced. Uh, but once I finished watching the first two seasons, I will give a more in-depth review either here on the podcast or on on YouTube. But uh, highly, highly recommended. It is. Uh, it's a. It's a fantastic series time for the peculiar bunch <laughs> catholics rock here at the peculiar bunch we're always happy to tell you everything you always wanted to know about catholics but you were afraid to ask catholics can be a peculiar bunch no meat on friday no meat what do they eat light bulbs no, Catholics don't eat light bulbs, but they do a number of things that may be a bit puzzling to those of you that are not familiar with those traditions. Man, 
you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. But I'm here to help. Why not? Um, and let me see. In the meantime, while I'm recording this, I'm getting uh, notified by the people in the chat room that the streams have crashed. That's a bit of a pity. I don't know why that is happening. But uh, what I could do is uh, stop the stream here and go live again. Uh, because I, I still enjoy having an audience. Uh, and, uh, well, let's see. It's, it's old technology, so it can break, especially streaming. It may also be because I'm on a very flaky internet connection here. Because, as I mentioned, we're still working on all the wiring here in the, in the rectory. So it may also be the router that's just... Uh, uh, not functioning that well. So I'm just going to restart the stream and I'll be live in a few minutes again on Facebook and YouTube so people can join me hopefully for the rest of the conversation would be shame to leave them out, especially because the question that I'm about to talk about here on Peculiar Bunch came from one of the participants in the chat room. So I really want to make sure that, uh, that I answered a question for... Uh, for, for that audience. Alrighty, so what was that question? Oh, now I've deleted the chat from, <laughs> from that stream because I restarted the, the stream. But if I remember correctly, it was, a, it was a question about confession, about mortal sins and venial sins, uh, which is actually quite technical, uh, even for Catholics to understand. So a sin is a sin, right? It's something you do that hurts your relationship with uh, someone else or with a community, with yourself, with God. Um, how can a sin be mortal or venial? What's the difference? What does it mean? Well, it is just a way to kind of make you realize the severity of the of the offense of the offense. I mean, you'd agree with me that there is a difference between stealing a cookie and murdering your neighbor, right? That that it's uh, both of which are illegal and not a good a good deed, but there is definitely uh, a a <laughs> they're not like uh, each other that that they don't are uh, the same uh, offense. They don't have the same consequences. So venial and mortal sins. Are, uh, are just a way to classify um, the, the, the type of things that you can do to break your relationship with God. Venial sins are, are sins that can easily be forgiven in a certain way. Um, it's something you do, but it's not that, that it completely breaks your relationship with God. It's just, uh, you know, you're just have, having this, this, you did something stupid, um, you were a little bit uh, impatient or, or angry. You let your emotions take over, but you—it wasn't in your atten- intention to, you know, really destroy everything that's good in the world. A mortal sin is more serious. A mortal sin means uh, that it, it it actually kills your relationship with God. Uh, there is something not just damaged, but really broken. And so, mortal sins, therefore. Uh, require f- forgiveness, require um, uh, a, a, a contrition. Um, you need to be really sorry and ask for forgiveness and receive that in the sacrament of confession. So uh, it's important to um, to see that that if you really, it's I mean, it's very similar to our our 
normal relationships, if you really hurt someone, it's not enough to say sorry and or send an email, you know. Sometimes you really have to go face to face and and talk it over and and embrace and forgive and that may actually require quite a bit of a sacrifice to do that. Um, it's, it's hard to ask forgiveness for something that really hurts someone else. Actually, we often avoid that and we just you know, build walls and uh, avoid contact. Um, but the, you know, what, what is really necessary is a personal uh, deed to repair that relationship. And so uh, that is why uh, confession is uh, especially important when it comes to these mortal sins. It is a, uh, it's, it's not a, um, you're not in front of a judge. The priest is not there to judge. The priest is there to heal, to heal the relationship. So it's much more of a, you could say, a medical situation where you, you've hurt, you've, you've broken something, and you're coming there to find healing to heal the relationship. And then the priest, because he's mandated by the church, who is uh, mandated by Jesus, what Jesus tells his apostles, you have to go and forgive people's sins, and who you forgive will be forgiven in heaven. And if you don't forgive, then that is also bind, binding for, for God's reality. So Jesus gives his apostles the mission and the authority to forgive sins and they've passed it on through ordination to their successors so that is why um, the sacrament of confession in the Catholic tradition is always personal it is uh, because Jesus wanted it to be personal he doesn't uh, give his uh, apostles uh, the mission to you know write letters or do like a general uh, liturgy of forgiveness or anything no he's like really you have to forgive people in a, in a one-on-one relationship. And that's what the church has done uh, actually throughout history. Um, confession has always been a personal sacrament. And, and also to protect what happens. It's, you make yourself very vulnerable. So there needs to be a ton of trust for people to sometimes show their vulnerabilities and ask for forgiveness. Um, and so that is why the church uh, values personal confession so much because it's a one-on-one relationship. There is a secret that binds the participants in this sacrament. A priest can never reveal anything that he learned in confession. And the punishment for if he does is out of this world. It's immediate, automatic excommunication. So it's the worst thing you could do. And it's all, of course, to safeguard the the patient in a certain way or the, the the person who asks for forgiveness so in 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 practice you know do i sit there and, and classify oh that's a venial sin that's a mortal sin that's a venial sin no no of course it, it, it is there is a certain factuality about sin it's not that everything is relative if you murder someone, that is truly a mortal sin. <laughs> There's no attenuating circumstances. Uh, it could, of course, be self-defense, but that's another category. But um, but if you deliberately murder someone, you can't say, well, hey, I do that all the time, you know. I do that on a daily basis, so it's just another murder. Uh, it's a venial murder. <laughs> no, it doesn't work like that. So there are a certain, there is a certain objectivity, 
course, to the moral order. Otherwise, it wouldn't be an ethical order. There, there has to be a certain, you know, you have to be able to measure um, everyone with the same the same measure in a certain way. You can't say, well, for this person, that's you know, that's a venial sin. For that person, it's a mortal sin. On the other hand, sin is also always tied to to a context, to a history of someone. Why do we sometimes do stupid things? Why do we uh, hurt someone else? There's almost always a story that precedes it. And so that is why confession is not just um, a bureaucratic, give me your list and I will give you your score. It is a, it's a conversation. It's a personal conversation. And so the priest is, in, is a judge in the sense that he has to weigh what has been said, also sometimes what is not said, and ask a little bit more and help that person to really come to terms with what he or she has done, with the truth about himself or herself, but also always in the context of healing. The priest is there to help, to guide, to, to give advice. Um, to, in a certain way, mediate what God wants, and that is to save, not to condemn. And so that is why sacrament of confession is uh, is delicate. It's difficult for a lot of people, or even for seasoned Catholics. It's never easy to open your heart and to say, to confess what you've done wrong. We love to talk about what we did right. It's hard to 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 share with someone else wh- where you messed up. It, it, it requires a lot of humility, and sometimes you find people that are just not are unable to say it. They're so afraid, they don't even dare to go to confession. What could help is to realize that the priest who hears your confession, he himself too is a sinner, and also lives because he constantly is forgiven and seeks forgiveness. And so the priest is not above you. It's not a saint. Few of them are. But he's a sinner like you. And he needs help just as much as you need help, but you're there to help each other. And it happens often in confession that I am healed as well, that what people witness... Their honesty, their trust, their desire to make good, to change their lives, is often super inspiring to me. And so it's really a back and forth. Um, So think about confession not just as something that you have to do to get forgiveness for, you know, to save your soul. By going to confession, you also give something to the priest that hears your confession. You also help him. Um, that's that's the amazing exchange, almost a sacramental exchange. That there is there is good for everyone in in this. Like there, the very first, no, the second confession that I ever did myself. <clears throat> the priest told me, "Did you know that?" There is a party in heaven right now that everybody is dancing up there, that the angels are overjoyed because you came to confession. This is and this is straight from the Bible. You know, if one sinner converts, it's a joy in heaven. It's it's so 
the the joy of reconciliation of a relationship that is healed is so powerful that we don't even realize how much good it does not just for the for the person that receives the absolution but for the entire community of saints for everyone who is in somehow in, in a relationship with god it benefits all of us and i i think it's for for us as priests it is a great responsibility to always radiate that that mercy that friendliness to be to be extremely welcoming to be very patient to be always a good listener and if someone has trouble sharing what went wrong to be very prudent with that very careful don't don't force anyone but take what you get in a certain way like be be celebrate the small steps that people make and and trust that god does the rest so i've seen incredible healing ha uh, happening within the sacrament of confession uh i've seen breakthroughs in people's lives and they didn't see it coming and my own life i, I think is uh bears witness to that I think my vocation was born the day that I confessed for the first time. I had never experienced how powerful God's love was for me personally as during that sacrament of reconciliation. Even though it was really difficult and I was really afraid and I was really ashamed and I thought I I would never be able to 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 confess, to go to confession. The priest was so welcoming and so, you know, another thing that helped me was that both these, these two priests that heard my, my first few confessions, they always emphasized what you leave here in the confessional is gone forever. We, we will forget it right away. God will forget it. It is really as if it has never existed. It is erased. Control, all delete. And that is something, that's a grace that I uh, always ask when I hear someone's confession is, God, help me to completely forget about this confession, to erase it, to completely delete the hard drive, you know, just um, because I want to always look at someone who comes to confession the way I would like to be seen when I go to confession. And that is, no one will ever get back to what I've said here, what I left behind, what I, what I confessed. Um, it is literally erased. And sometimes there is collateral damage of the sins that we do. And so that may require us to not only seek healing for ourselves, but also try to remedy the, the situation that I've caused. So if I harmed someone, to try to somehow fix that or, or at least ask for forgiveness to the people that I've damaged, um, which is... You know, it can be very, very hard as well. But it always results in something good. There's no confession that was ever bad for someone. <laughs> I've had a few negative confession experiences where the priest was very harsh and very, you know, merciless. And even in those cases, I still thought, well, you know, the priest may be fallible, but the sacrament is still valid, so I'm still forgiven. <laughs> Eat your heart out, you... You rude priest. <laughs> so there is something 
that's what I love about the Catholic sacraments. They transcend even the quality of the person who administers the sacraments because it's God himself who, who touches your heart. All right, that's it for this segment. Let's see what else have we got on our list. We need to talk about books. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? All right. Well, so there were some questions here in the chat, like who gives this power to the church to hear confessions? Well, it's Jesus himself. You go to the gospel. There is this, you know, he, he actually asks his apostles to go out in the world and forgive people's uh, uh, sins. It's a beautiful ministry, and it really, it's almost a shame that it is so uh, in disarray now and forgotten about because, it, you know, it's a sacrament of healing and it does a lot of good. All right, let's talk about books. I wanted to uh, briefly mention a Harry Potter book. It's not really about Harry Potter. Well, in a certain way it is, but it's about the world of Harry Potter. It's called uh, Harry Potter History of Magic. And I'm listening currently to the audio book narrated by Natalie Dormer. I think this is based on an exposition in London, I think. Or maybe it was uh, uh, traveling the world a couple of years ago, um, and it is uh, um, an audiobook that really goes into in depth in, uh, and gives you the background of all the symbolism that you find in Harry Potter and all the elements, narrative elements that uh, J.K. Rowling uh, used to come up with that story and to create the world of, of Harry Potter. Um, it's a fascinating book, especially if you uh, if you're a fan of Harry Potter, uh, which I am, of course. And there are still there are a lot of things that I've discovered, um, uh, even though I've I've read the books multiple times. I'm a huge fan of the movies as well. Uh, but it is um, there's always some something more to learn. The more you learn about uh, the sources of inspiration of J.K. Rowling, the more you appreciate. Uh, the Harry Potter stories themselves. There is a lot hidden in in there uh, that you don't uh, realize when when you just read the stories themselves. Uh, I'm gonna try to play a little fragment of this book, or uh, I'm trying to find it on Amazon. Uh, History of Magic, because and you, I always like to play these little excerpts to give you an idea. No, just me talking. Where do I have that Amazon page? A history of magic. Is this it? No. I can't find the page anymore. That's what you get when you're old and you open like 50,000 browser windows. <laughs> Apparently that's a thing that old people do. They leave all the tabs open because they're afraid that they'll forget what they uh, were reading. All right, here's a little bit of the Audible uh, book. Let's see what this talks about. If I hear something, which I don't. Do you hear something? I don't hear anything. Oh, I see. Maybe if I unmute the computer. <laughs> that could help. Here we go. Just reload the page and press audible. In different eras and everywhere, there are fabulous stories about magic that will simply astonish and amaze. Through it all, are links between the world of muggles 
and the wonderful wizarding world of J.K. Rowling. Magic is about more than the superstitions of the past and the fantasies of the present. Here's Alexander Locke, one of the curators of the British Library exhibition. See, it's about I suppose exhibition. a large part of magic is about belief and about just just looking for things or willing to believe it's there. And if it, if you believe it, then then it can be there. It can happen. And I once read a really interesting quote that Love if you these accents, by the way. don't believe in magic, you'll never find it. And that's so true. And that's the magic of magic. So if, if you don't believe in magic, you'll never find it. Um, I kind of like it. It's, it's just your, you're, so you're, the way you look at the world makes you either see something or not makes you blind. It's a, a bit similar like faith. If you don't have faith, you don't understand anything of what these Christians do or what motivates them or why they make certain choices. And it's not that when you become a Christian that all of a sudden everything makes sense and you understand everything and you know everything. Oh, absolutely not. But you, you step into another type of logic and, and things will fall into place and it's, everything starts to converge and you see things that you never saw before. Um, so in a, in a certain way, the, the whole magical world of Harry Potter is, of course, uh, kind of a metaphor of our own reality. And there are a lot of uh, Christian elements and important themes that uh, J.K. Rowling deliberately uh, used in her own story, in her own fairy tale about this magical school of wizards. And uh, again, if you... If you don't, if you're, if you don't, if you're not open for it, you you, you will not recognize it, um, and and some people are uh, again not understanding it because they have a certain expectation of what, uh, of, of what book should be about. Uh, they have a, a preconceived idea about well, whenever there's magic, then of course it's evil and superstitious. Um, that's looking at the surface, and they can never understand what Harry Potter is truly about. You really need to open yourself up for the story and for what the story is trying to express. And then you will start to understand everything starts to make sense. But I've, I've encountered countless Christians, very judgmental about Harry Potter. Uh, but it's also because they don't believe in magic. <laughs> and so they, they cannot understand it. So that is... Um, that's my little book review or my book tip for today. Harry Potter, A History of Magic. Um, and the audiobook is called an audio documentary in the subtitle you can get it on uh, on audible if you're interested in that sort of stuff we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean let's plug it in it's going to say hey i see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers you'll notice that this scanner built whoa well all your technology stuff it just ends in disaster but there is one more thing there's one there's always one more thing uh this is the segment where i talk about technology and especially the technology that i'm interested in and right now that is definitely a new tablet i've got an old uh first generation ipad air which is fantastic i this is definitely the device that i use every single moment of the day I use it for reading, I use it for praying even, for mass. This is my missile, everything is in here. 
Um, but it's getting a little bit slow. It's getting old. Uh, it's my eyes are also getting old, <laughs> getting worse. So I st- sometimes struggle to be to read this, uh, especially now that I'm reading a lot of comic books on Marvel Unlimited. I often wish that the screen could be a little bit bigger. So I've been oogling the, uh, the the newer generation of iPad Pros, which of course have a much tinier bezel and a larger surface, and especially the 12.9-inch uh, iPad, which is huge, um, but is actually makes for a very relaxing reading. I'm just not sure about the weight. Could be that that because it's much heavier, of course, than my current iPad. That it that actually counteracts the benefit of having a big screen. It's also it's heavier, so it's it's you can't hold it as long as a normal iPad. I don't know exactly if that's a real problem, but I would certainly would like to uh, start you know saving up money for a new iPad or a new Android tablet uh, because well Android tablets have always been a bit of a, a anomaly. Uh, they've never been very profitable for companies that made them. They've never been very popular. So there's not the same software infrastructure as with uh, iOS. So the iPad has been market leader all over the world. And so it means that there is uh, actually a very, very healthy, thriving uh, developers community that makes programs, apps specifically for the iPad. And... Uh, the opposite is true of Android tablets because there are not that many out there and not many people have Android tablets. Also, if you have an Android tablet, usually you only get one or two updates and then it is basically unsafe to use it because there are no more security updates. Very much uh, the renewal cycle is more similar uh, to, um, to cell phones where after two years, you're just supposed to get a new cell phone. Whereas this iPad, this iPad Air, is from, what's the year? Should be on there, but I can't, can't find it. This one is at least six years old, I think. Well, anyway, so uh, my iPad has outlasted three phones already. The, the downside of, of um, the iPad, of course, is that it is very expensive, you want to get the 12.9 it's easily a thousand bucks and then you don't even have the pen you don't even have the keyboard android tablets are a lot cheaper more affordable um the best ones right now are made by samsung and they just came out with the galaxy tab s7 and the s7 plus they're very similar to what apple does with these two sizes you've got 11 inch and 12.9 inch i think the tabs s7 is uh, 11 inch and then uh, 12.4 so it's a tiny little bit smaller than the uh, the big ipad um it comes with a pen it also has a keyboard although you have to pay for that uh separately just like what apple does um and the reviews are very very good and the thing is selling like hotcakes so much so that they haven't even uh, started pre-ordering in the United States, I think, because this thing is just, they can't make enough of them. Um, it looks really, really nice. It's got an OLED screen. Um, it's got a very responsive pen. Um, and then some software that Samsung developed specifically for their, for their tablets. But then, beyond that, it's just the Android telephone software. They can run on it. And, and I've heard from everyone who's been testing this, it's... That's not a very good situation to be in because a lot of these apps 
just so so they're made for a very small telephone screen and so if you put them on a big especially on the the the, the tab s7 plus it's all blurry and it doesn't work um sometimes on the ipad you, you could you can run any iphone app also on your ipad and for instance the instagram app there is no for whatever reason so stupid but there is no instagram app for the ipad so you have to use the phone app and then uh, expand it to twice the size, but of course it doesn't have the same resolution, the same quality uh, as iPad apps. But that all already is jarring to me. Let alone I'm watching this on a what is it a nine point something inch screen. Let alone if you uh, watch the Instagram app on a on a twelve point nine inch screen. So that is holding me back. That the, the advantage of the Samsung Galaxy Tab S seven and S seven Plus is that it's much more affordable. It's still on the expensive side. Lots of people are complaining about that. It, I think it's about 900 bucks, but you get the pen with it. Whereas Apple, you easily pay a thousand bucks and then you don't even get the pen for it. So that's another 150 or 200 bucks and so on and so on. It's also this, this kind of Apple tax that you pay. Um, I've already invested pretty heavily in uh, the iOS ecosystem. So that's also something that I need to take into account. It's like I already have spent so much money on these on these Apple apps. It would be a shame to switch platforms and then I can basically throw everything away that I've uh, that I've uh, purchased in the past. And then I have to buy it all over again on the Samsung. So right now I'm I'm still waiting for Apple to come out. I think it may just have happened, or it's they're gonna uh, launch a, a, another iPad Air. However, I'm more in the market for it. If I, if I pick up another tablet, knowing that it will probably last me two or three phone generations, I'd rather go for the big one because my eyes are not going to get any better and I just love the canvas to work with. I don't think they'll ever go bigger than 12.9 unless you get these foldable screens. But uh, for now, that's the biggest that I can get. And, well, for, for many reasons, that is something that I'd... Uh, I'd, I'd probably consider buying, but eh, it's expensive. All right, with that, it is time to start wrapping things up. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. And of course, for the patrons, there is another show waiting for you. One of these days, it's called Father Roderick to the Max. I will give you another recipe uh, that I prepare in my kitchen. We'll talk about comic books, technology, things I've learned on social media, and so much more. Check it out at Father Roderick on Patreon.